Regions believes that being a bank means serving the community. Regions is shining the light on local food banks as they feed our neighbors in need. See how you can help at regions.com slash food bank. The Regions branches are open by drive through or lobby appointment only. Bank safely and securely from almost anywhere with Regions Online banking or mobile banking. Data rates may apply. Regions Bank. Member FDIC. The Duly Noted Podcast is brought to you by Vistar Credit Union. We never forget that it's your money. And ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. This is the Duly Noted Podcast. Welcome into another edition of the Duly Noted Podcast. It is the post-game podcast because this is Tuesday. On Tuesday, we talk about the game that was just played. And, of course, we will get into some other things as well. And, of course, three things. Uh, let's start out by talking about watching the game Saturday night. I literally I, – I think it was after the zipper uh, first touchdown. And I just went, this is getting ridiculous. Because it, it just was amazing to see this offense just continue to go up and down the field, throw a touchdown pass, throw a touchdown pass, throw a touchdown pass, throw a touchdown pass, over and over and over again. It is crazy. And that's when I, I went and kind of did uh, – uh, on Sunday, I said, you know, I don't have time to do this now because I just wanted to get everything in. But on Sunday, I'm going to look up some things. And, and what I looked up was points per game. Florida still this this team is still a little a, a notch behind the '96 uh, team, which was an unbelievable team. Also won a national title, as you as you well know. Uh, yards per game, it's it's a pretty good ways past or behind the '95 team. And the '95 team, of course, uh, they could do everything. They were that was an unbelievable offense as well. And then. Passing yards per game was Rex Grossman's senior junior year in 2001, which was one of the great teams that didn't win didn't win anything uh, except the Orange Bowl, I guess. But that doesn't count. I mean, that's it's nice to win the Orange Bowl, but you don't get a and you do get a trophy, but you don't get a any confetti. I think they do confetti now <laughs> for the Orange Bowl. But my point is. This offense is right up there with those offenses. It's it's not, you know, it's hard to. And again, my wife made a great point, and and I had a reader who also brought this up. Well, those teams got to play bad, you know, cupcakes. So I took points per game. At least I did that much, and took that out of the the um, you know average. And and that '96 team still outscored this team. Now, it certainly is difficult to play in all SEC schedules. We know. And we'll see where Florida ends up in terms of uh, stats and everything like that. Um, it is I, 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 the other thing that stood out to me in this game was the way the receiver stepped up. Uh, no Kyle Pitts. He had actually had surgery uh, on his nose. His his injury was that severe. It kind of reminded me of uh, the weirdness of Tua's injury. That, that sidelined him at, at uh, Alabama. And, I mean, obviously he had the hip, uh, but he also uh, messed up his face and his nose, and he had to have uh, surgery on that. Um, so, But without Kyle Pitts, and he'll, they'll be without him at least for another week, and I wonder how Kyle Pitts will be when he comes back. 
When you take a hit like that, man, it's it doesn't go away. It stays with you. And uh, will he be the same player as he was, you know, kind of a fearless receiver? Uh, maybe they don't send him over the middle as much anymore. I, I've seen guys get a little bit uh, nervous about that, but we'll, we'll see. That's not the concern right now, although you feel for Kyle Pitts because you're talking about a first-round draft pick, and uh, I'm sure he wants to get back out there and do some more things and continue to show that there was no problem. Anyway, what I'm, what I was, my original point was how the receivers stepped up. You know, Justin Shorter's a guy that, when he was at Penn State, didn't really do much. Five star guy, um, you know, left and came down here, and we're all kind of looking. Oh, Florida got a five star receiver, and you're, you know, waiting for his eligibility to come through, and you start looking at his numbers at Penn State, and they're not very good, and you're like, ah, wonder what happened? Why, why it didn't work out there? And so at the start of the season, he was kind of a possession guy and not the fleetest of foot. You're like starting to kind of get it. But now he has really stepped up his game, touchdown in each of the last three games. That catch Saturday was ridiculous. It was stupid. Um, I'm not sure you should have even thrown the ball there, but, but he threw it up high and he felt like he could go get it. And uh, he's becoming a, a – a really good receiver for Florida. And uh, so he stepped up. You know, Kadarius Toney, I, I thought was it was huge the way he stepped up and had seven catches. They took – and teams are going to do this. When they see Kadarius Toney go in motion, they're going to send a bunch of guys with him in case they hand him the ball, okay? When they run him out there as a bubble screen guy, they're going to send a lot of guys that way. And what you can do is throw off of that, you know? And, of course – he threw a ball. He threw it a little late, um, trying to hit. Um, I think it was Kamari Gamble, right in the end zone. Uh, but they they covered it. They caught up to it and covered it. And I was wait, kind of waiting for when they were going to do that. And same play. They basically they ran at um, at Mississippi State uh, last year at Flo- Florida at Mississippi State last year. Um, so, but the thing is. Okay, so you take all this stuff away from Kadarius Tony. It's going to hurt you in other areas. For example, <laughs> obviously, Trey Grimes is running down the middle of the field wide open. Two guys are with, going with Kadarius Tony. You, you left open the, uh, a guy who's a really good receiver, um, but but also the fact that Tony came up big and played well, even though they took other things away from him that we're used to seeing him do. I think it's getting to a point where where teams are like, look, we got to we've got to gang tackle this guy, or that's the only way you're going to get him down because he'll break tackles and he'll he'll make moves. So anyway, the point being, I think Billy Gonzalez should be a major candidate for the Frank Broyles Award, which goes to the best assistant coach. That's the kind of job he's doing. Um, I got I've got some great stats and some great numbers I want to throw at you, and also give credit to. Um, Another another part of the offense. But first, I have to take a break because we do that right around this time every podcast. We'll take a break. We'll come right back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast right after this. (laughs) 
If you're a Gator fan who believes saving money is better, join ViStar and save up to $5,000 in closing costs when you buy or refinance a home. The ViStar No Closing Costs Mortgage has a great rate, no hidden fees, and like the name says, no closing costs up to $5,000. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. Equal housing opportunity insured by NCUA. All loans subject to credit approval. Offer not available on VA and FHA mortgages. For more information, visit ViStarCU.org. Hey, Gator fans. How do you chill out each week? There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. A perfect moment to unwind in our busy lives. If your game is on, or any game for that matter, reach for Coors Light and that mountain cold refreshment. When you want to chill out, flip through the channels and crack open a cold Coors Light. Each week, the games are getting more and more important. Make sure your refrigerator is stocked up with the one that's made to chill. Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look, delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. All right, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. Appreciate everybody again for clicking on. Um, I mentioned Billy Gonzalez, and I, I think another guy who's got to get a lot of credit is John Hevesy. Because, you know, I, I, I remember vividly talking to him about how the offensive line had to get better in 2010, or 2020, sorry, uh, versus 2019. Down, and I, we were at the Orange Bowl, and we were interviewing him. And he was saying, yeah, we, we've got to get better. We cannot keep going like this. We've got to have a different uh, way of doing things. And um, obviously it's worked out pretty well. Uh, that offensive line's played well. Stuart Reese was able to go, which I didn't know if he was going to be able to go. Uh, think about this. So the offensive line has given up only six sacks in six games this year. That's pretty good. And, you know, a couple of sacks were coverage sacks. In fact, I think uh, you know Delance lost his guy on the one sack that Arkansas had, but um, I think Kyle needed to get rid of the ball there. But that's another thing. Kyle does a great job of getting rid of the ball in a hurry, and that's another reason for the sacks. You know, Florida's averaging 140 yards rushing a game, which is not a great number. It's down there. But as much as they throw, averaging 140 is not bad at all. And they're averaging 4.3 yards a rush, which is not bad at all either. It's not... You know, you'd like to do a little better, and you'd like to be able to run the ball a little better, but they're doing a heck of a job with it. So uh, credit to all those coaches. I mean, pretty uh, amazing stuff. Um, 
But here's here's a stat that I, I, I looked this up today because obviously the trash for Heisman stuff is getting a, a lot of traction. And part of the reason is I, I, I pointed this out in the column today. Part of the reason is Justin Fields couldn't play last week. Trevor Lawrence, you know, I, I, I guess he's going to play this week. We haven't seen him in a while. Saw him on the sideline for the Notre Dame game, but that's about it. And then um, Mac Jones obviously had to sit out last week because of uh, their game got uh, postponed. And so those are the three guys that are probably ahead of Kyle Trask, but now Trask kind of moved ahead of them. I, mean, I still think Fields or Lawrence will probably win it, but it could come down to Mac Jones versus Kyle Trask. Winner take all. Winner take the SEC and the Heisman. Home with them. I, I can see that scenario happening. But, you know, it's funny because Trask is averaging – He's well, he's – his percentage, his, his completion percentage is 70%, which is pretty amazing. And obviously, he's first in the country in touchdowns. But in terms of pass efficiency, as good as he's been, he's seventh in the country. In yards per, per pass, he's ninth in the country, which are, are great stats. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. But the, the funny thing about it is that's how much people are throwing the ball all over the place now that you can do – put up the numbers he's having and still, you know, be in the top 10, but not, you know, near the lead, except for in touchdowns. And this is where it gets really interesting to me because I hadn't even thought about this until I decided to look it up and double check it. If Kyle Trask those four touchdown passes against Vanderbilt and Florida's a huge favorite, as we know, 30-point favorite, Vanderbilt seems to be finding its offense a little bit, but they're still 0-6. I, I'm, believe me, I'm going to write for Saturday what happened in '96, how Florida almost let that get away from them. Because so I, I still understand that you got to go play, you got to go play, and you got to continue to get better. Don't think that I don't get that. But let's just say he throws four in the game Saturday. That would put him at 32. 32 is how many touchdown passes. Tim Tebow threw the year he won the Heisman. He had a lot more games. And again, Tebow ran also ran for 20, whatever the number was. I didn't got to look that up. But he that he was the first guy ever to throw for 30, run for 20 touchdowns in a, in a season. That's how he won the Heisman. He also won the Heisman because Dennis Dixon, who was a quarterback at Oregon, blew his ACL out late in the season. He probably was going to win it. Um you know, and, and again, the candidates that year, Darren McFadden finished second. It's not like these were guys that were having these unbelievable team successes. They, I mean, Florida was nine and three, and then lost a bowl game. But when he won the Heisman, they were nine and three. But Tebow had done something nobody had ever done before. And and Trask isn't running for twenty touchdowns. I get that, but think about this: seven games done, he could be at or surpass the number of touchdown passes Tebow threw that year. But even more remarkable, the all-time record at the University of Florida for a season is 39, held by one Daniel Werfel in 96. 39. Kyle has 28. 
He's only got to throw for 11 the rest of the season to tie that record and 12 to go past it. So we're talking about, you know, a performance that uh, for the ages. Um, so it, it is, but I mean, let, look, this is what we have this year with the time that, uh, people are having to take away from the game for whatever reason. I mean, obviously you can work out with your girlfriend and throw her passes and still stay sharp. You can't tackle your girlfriend, (laughs) you know, and, and, and defensively stay sharp. So that's something that, you know, Nick Saban said, and a lot of people have said, you can, you can throw against air. You can't tackle against air. And for example, I I was curious about this. I looked this up total offense this year in the SEC. Ole Miss is number one. They're third in the country. Alabama's fifth. Florida's twelfth. Well, this is one of the great offenses I've ever seen at the University of Florida. They're twelfth in the country. LSU's twenty-six and AM's thirty-five. So those are the teams in the top fifty. Defensively, the highest ranked team is twenty-eighth, and that's AM. And then Georgia's twenty-ninth. Alabama's forty-eighth. Forty-eighth in defense, fifth in offense. That's the world we're living in. It is the COVID generation of offense. And again, we we obviously have no idea how many games are going to be played. You know, there. For example, I just said if if Kyle Trask throws eleven touchdown passes, he'll tie Danny Warfel's record. He may not have a chance to throw eleven. We just don't know what's going to happen um, as we move forward with this. But we'll we'll try to keep it to talking about what's going on with this football team because it is pretty darn amazing. Um, in fact, I mentioned the offensive line only giving up six sacks. If, if you took only teams that have played at least six games, Florida would be tied for six in the country and fewest sacks allowed. And again, th- that's another thing you get when you're you – sc- the rankings of best offense, best defense – most yards per game. All that's skewed this year because you got teams that have played one game, you know, and teams that have played two, and teams that have played seven or eight, you know, and uh, so this, it's kind of all skew, screwy, but it, it is what it is. Um, so, a lot of credit to that this this Florida football team that took Dan Mullen's message to heart. Now they got to take it to heart again. Keep getting better. If you don't get better, you're not going to win. Well, guess what? They looked even better this week than they did against Georgia. Georgia was a bigger game, but you know how I was about Arkansas. I was nervous about it. And the reason I was nervous is I didn't trust secondary, and the secondary was not excellent against Arkansas. But here's, again, where we are in the world of COVID. Dan Mullen was talking about his team on Monday – and he said, you know, he thought the defense actually played pretty good. There were some big plays, but, you know, they only scored three touchdowns against the first team. The other two were against the second team. I'm like, that's where we are. You only scored three touchdowns? That's all you got? <laughs> I mean, come on. You're not going to beat Florida doing that. that. Very reminiscent of the old Spurrier days. But, look, the defense has got to get better if they're really going to and I'm not just saying just Alabama. I'm talking about Tennessee and LSU and Kentucky. 
Kentucky next week. You know? So that's going to be an interesting game. Because you've got to play better on defense. You do. Um, obviously, you give up touchdown right away, beginning of the game. Kyrie Elam, your best corner, probably gets burned. Um, but but teams are able to do that. And Felipe Franks has a great arm. And, you, you, and, I, and that's what I wrote about in my column uh, in the Sunday – well, I guess it was the Monday paper because we our deadlines are crazy now. But that – it was kind of a perfect night because Felipe got to show people, hey, I'm, I'm better than I was. I, the, the stuff Dan Mullen taught me made me better, and now I've even gotten better. I've, I've got a lot of confidence. I'm, I'm around a bunch of guys who really love me, and as did these other guys on the Florida team. And you saw the line to go greet him. Um, and it was a really emotional moment for him and Kyle Trask and him and Dan Mullen. It was it was kind of a perfect night. Meanwhile, you saw the reason that Felipe Franks is at Arkansas, and that's his name is Kyle Trask. But but you know, and then to give up that what was it, eighty three yards run run? I can't even remember how how far it was. I'm just sitting there, and again, untouched by human hands. I'm watching that play, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Come on, guys. This is is this going to happen every week now? And then to give up the other touchdown uh, that was eighty something yards, and and it just felt like the defense would play well for a series and then play bad for a series. Um, and I don't know. This may look. We've talked about this before. This may be what you got. This may be it all year, or you're. You're not going to be able to put teams away until you get in the fifties. <laughs> you know, you worry. You, you know, like I said, that Georgia game made me nervous until there was about two minutes left in the game because they couldn't put them away. They couldn't score enough to put them away because it wasn't going to be. You know, and again, the, that was as good. Probably the defense played really good against Missouri, but they played pretty well against Georgia and came up with all those turnovers. They also gave up, you know, a lot of points. So, I, I, I look, I think – I don't want to talk about that Florida doesn't have the talent to play well on defense. I think they have talent in some areas. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, they are going to give up points and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to live with it, I think is, is what I'm trying to say here in a kind of a weird manner. You're just going to have to live – with Florida's defense not being elite this year, uh, whether it's whether it's because of the lack of spring and the late start, having to be out for two weeks, no 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 uh, practices, whether it's because of that, whether the talent isn't there where we where we thought it was there, whether it's everybody's now can throw the ball and everybody's. You know the, the the run pass option is is taking over the college football, and everybody's scoring. I mean, like I said, Alabama's forty eighth in defense. Alabama, don't tell me they don't have any good players on that defense. These are all four and five star guys. They're forty eighth in total defense. Now Florida's way down even below that. I didn't even look up. Where, I don't want to know where Florida is. I know where they are. I, I've seen it with my own two eyes. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll talk more about 
the game this week in our in our Tuesday podcast, and we're going to bring on Adam Sparks. I mean, I'm sorry, in the Thursday podcast, we're going to bring on Adam Sparks, who uh, covers um, Vanderbilt and does a great job with them on Thursday. Today, we're going to bring on my good friend Chris Storing. I've been wanting to get him back on. He's been, he was on in September, wanting to get him back on. Just talk about this offense and what what it's doing right, and how it relates to the good old days of, of Florida football. Because look, it. I know that they won two national championships in 06 and 08, and I do, the Tebow phenomenon was incredible. But the fun was in the 90s. The fun and gun was called that for a reason. And that was the most fun because we never thought Florida could do that when Spurrier walked in the door. We never thought Florida would be a team that would be scored 50, 60 points against good teams. And then all of a sudden they were. That 95 Tennessee game, I'm sitting there. At one point, I told Robbie, this this game's too big for me to write. The way Florida's just manhandled them in the second half and just scored points left and right. No, everything they call works. That was what we dealt with. 90, I mean, you go back all the way back. You know, 91 was a good offense, won the SEC for the first time. 90 was a good offense. 92, Shane Head was playing behind freshman tackles. It was difficult for him. But 93, he started getting better. 94, 95, unbelievable. 96, incredible offense. 98 was a great offense. Threw the ball all over the place. Travis McGriff had a huge year. And it just kept going every year. And for Florida to have gone through what it went through, you know, from – Post Tebow until now, you know. Well, really, last year, last year was the year where it it really started to turn, and to finally have a quarterback who's a Heisman contender, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty, and it's again, it's fun. We'll talk to Chris Doring about how much fun it's been. When we return, you're listening to the Duly Noted Podcast at GatorSports.com. Okay, welcome back to the Duly Noted Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be joined by a guest who's been with us many times, Chris Doring, of course, a former Gator All-American and, and uh, uh, on the SEC network. And, uh, you know, Chris, I, I, I'm sure it's been kind of fun after these games, after these Florida offensive attacks to be able to talk about the Gators and Kyle Trask. It is. It's been fun. Obviously, I'm a little biased in that respect. It's been painful at times during my this is my sixth year with the SEC Network, and and as you uh, probably feel the same covering this team during that period of time, there's been moments of uh, frustration and and pain and and uh, flat out boredom, and that is uh, none of the things that apply to this year's Florida offense. Uh, it's been a, a lot of fun. It's very reminiscent uh, to to my time at Florida, and and that's fun. You know, I can't tell you how many people. Uh, text me about wow this is this is the most uh, I've had uh, fun watching the Gators play since Coach Spurrier was here or man Kyle Trask reminds me a lot of Danny Warfel and so there's a lot of uh, tie-ins that uh, kind of take me back to to playing at Florida during the early to mid 90s and let's be honest I mean that's the reason why uh, Dan Mullen was hired as the head coach Scott Strickland you know distinctly went out and wanted to to look for an offensive-minded head coach a guy that 
that understood the culture of Florida football and the fans and, and could provide entertainment. And it's not enough just to win at Florida. You, you have to win with points and you have to win with offensive flair and excitement throwing the football around. And, and uh, Dan Mullen's been able to capture all of that with uh, this, this fantastic offense led by Kyle Trask with so many weapons, man. It's just very uh, – they, they may have more weapons than our 90s teams too, which is uh, hard for me to say. Well, you know, it's interesting because I went back and looked at the best Florida offenses of all time. And uh, the 1995 team, which you were a member of, obviously, was the most yards uh, per game. And Florida, this Florida team's not they're about 20, 30 yards a game short. Um, of course, the 96 team had the most points per game, and they're a little bit short of that. And the 01 team had the most passing yards. And Rex Grossman still didn't get the Heisman. And I'm still mad about that. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's got to be some reminiscing when you see from that '95 team when you see this team. It it feels the same way. Like you're like, are they going to quit scoring passing touchdowns, or is this going to going to go on forever? Yeah, I, I keep waiting uh, for you know the game where they come out and and they're not clicking on all cylinders. And I made the mistake of of thinking the same way about LSU's offense last year. I remember. You know, their fast start and then thinking, well, sooner or later, defenses are going to figure it out a little bit more or Joe Burrow's going to have a, an off night with his accuracy or guys aren't going to catch the ball as well as they had been, and it never happened last year. And I'm seeing the same exact thing from Florida. I guess I'm a little bit more emotionally invested in, in, in this year's Florida uh, offense because it is my alma mater, and, it, and, and I'm worried that I'm going to get my hopes up too high. But uh, to look yesterday when we did our show on the SEC Network, we had a graphic that showed through six games – um, 28 touchdowns for Joe Burr. Uh, excuse me, 28 touchdowns for Kyle Trask this year. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa had 27. Joe Burrow had 26. Those are pretty elite uh, quarterbacks to be in the same uh, same mention with, and to be ahead of them uh, in terms of touchdowns over that period of time is, is even more so impressive. So I, I'm uh, I'm going to continue to to put my heart out there. I just hope it doesn't get uh, stomped on, but uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems is we don't know how many games are going to end up playing because of, of yeah. all that's going on, and uh, obviously that's still an issue around the conference. And and for you guys, I mean, you thought you were going to have a, a seven game slate last weekend, and you get you only end up with three games to talk about because of all the issues. We've already had one game canceled or postponed because of COVID this week with Texas A&M yeah. having its issues. But that's got to be a you know really difficult for you to handle as well. It is. It's a challenge. Um, one, knowing what we're going to be talking about on Friday nights from week to week. Um, like you mentioned, you know, two weeks ago when we had the Florida Georgia game, uh, there were only four games being played that day, and we're thinking, wow, we're going to get a full seven game slate back the following week. That was pared down to only three. Uh, so, literally, in that four o'clock window, we didn't even have a game, not only on our network, we didn't have an SEC game being played at all. Yeah. So, it is. Uh, a little weird for us uh, sitting in studio all day long and all night long to, to have time that's not occupied by one of our SEC teams being played. Uh, it made it a little challenging for our rap show uh, at the end of the night. Had to be a little more creative with coming up with some content to discuss. But um, I am cautiously optimistic again about this week. Uh, I think the thing that I was most worried about after last week's postponements was the impact of the contact tracing and the required 14-day quarantine that goes along with, with guys that have been in close proximity. Um, 
that's what's gotten Texas A&M. They've still had very few positive tests, from my understanding, but just guys having to sit out. I do think that that rule needs to be readdressed. I know it's a CDC thing. I know Commissioner Sankey has said that's you know higher higher uh, people making those decisions uh, in terms of the, the doctors and the CDC's recommendations. But to think that you can have a positive test. And, and be back playing after 10 days and not even ever have a positive test and be required to quarantine for 14 days with no possible uh, ability to test out of that is, is kind of crazy to me. So it is good that, that Texas A&M is the only one that's affected so far this week. I think you know to see um, some of the other teams that were at risk back uh, as of now being scheduled to play on Saturday leads me to believe that uh, we're, we're probably going to have a, a closer to full slate than we did last weekend. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, and there's, there's certainly some interesting games. But I want to talk to you again and go back to the to the whole situation with Florida, and obviously you're studying this team and you're studying what what is working. Why is it working so well offensively? Uh, why is why is Dan Mullen able to find ways to exploit no matter what you throw at him? You throw six DBs. He'll exploit yeah. it. You, you, you blitz. He'll exploit it. He's finding ways to do it, no matter no matter what you're throwing at him. Yeah. First and foremost, I think it starts with the quarterback position. You have a guy in Kyle Trask that understands the offense extremely well, understands what defenses are doing, and knows how to distribute the football to the right place with great accuracy. I mean, it's really difficult to beat, even when you have great coverage. And I think early in the season, you were seeing Florida winning against defenses in one-on-one situations where Florida had the better athlete in those one-on-one situations and had better accuracy from the corner quarterback where you, there's, there's nothing you can do, even if you're in great position. I, I just keep going back to that first game of the season when you know Kyle Pitts is in pretty good – he's being covered pretty well, and the throw from Kyle Trask is low and away uh, outside of where the corner is and, and away from where the safety's coming over the top. And it, it ends up being an indefensible throw. And, and so you saw that a lot early in the season. Now you're seeing some teams do some different things. I thought Arkansas at times, especially early, uh, was content dropping back into a big zone, making you, you be patient and throw the ball underneath. And um, that was something that, that previous quarterbacks weren't willing to do. Costello wasn't willing to do that against Arkansas's defense. Um, uh, Matt Corral was not willing to do that, thus the six interceptions that he threw. Kyle Trask was, and uh, he took what the defense was giving. Arkansas had to change some looks up. Uh, they were able to throw some really creative uh, route patterns uh, at the defense, and, and Kyle continued to, to identify uh, what the defenses are doing, what they're giving up, and where they're susceptible, and, and delivering with great accuracy. I think the other thing we have to be remiss not to talk about all of the different weapons. Um, I was asked on Saturday prior to the game how big a loss it was not having Kyle Pitts in the lineup. And, and to be honest with you, I said it, it's, it, this is no disrespect to Kyle Pitts, but it's a very nominal impact, and that has to do more with all the other weapons and, and the guys that are waiting in the, in the wings to step up. Look at Keon Zipper. I mean, he, he goes out and catches two touchdowns. We had Kamori Gamble catch a touchdown against Georgia. So there are not only players that you can utilize in those spots that are wide receivers, but some actually really talented tight ends that look like they're going to have uh, some success here too. So I just think there's so many different pieces that are all at the perfect storm, right? Everything kind of converging together uh, at the right place at the right time, much like LSU experienced last year. It had every possible 
good thing happen at the right time, and uh, most importantly, they had the right quarterback orchestrating all of it. And they had the right coaches, and I think that's, you know, again, Florida with, with guys like Brian Johnson, who's been around Dan for a long time, but other, the guy who stands out to me is Billy Gonzalez, who, and you you know, you, you played for Dwayne Dixon yeah. and did a great job with all your receivers, but, I mean, he's turning guys that were, you know, I don't know if they were, I, I know, for example, Justin Shorter was a five-star guy, but at Penn State, he couldn't really get on the field, and they were, and that's why he left, and, and Early in his career here, I'm like, and now I'm starting to see why. Next thing you know, he's a beast out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're seeing from him uh, Saturday was just a, an incredibly athletic play from a big, strong, physical dude, and that that's something you can't coach. But I think you know what Billy does is so much of what Coach Dixon did with us, and that's attention to detail. You know, and I think it goes back to him having played the position. So many times the receiver coach is a lower on the totem pole guy. Mm-hmm. And so you get a guy that's maybe a great recruiter um, that's coaching receivers or, or maybe a guy that's coached other positions that needs to babysit certain guys. And you don't necessarily have somebody that has the experience of actually playing that position at the level. And Billy Gonzalez was a wide receiver at Colorado State. He understands what we go through at, at the position in terms of challenges and, and how you win using technique. I think he's taught those guys a, a lot about how you run routes and, and the, uh, the detail that goes along with that. And I think you're seeing that pay dividends. Now, again, it, it, it's in sharp contrast because I think they had terrible development of the receivers for about a 10-year period of time. Um, you know, I, I go back to Aubrey Hill, and obviously I'm biased towards my former teammate, but that was the worst thing that happened to Florida's receivers was, was him getting caught up in that Miami mix and them having to let him go because after that there was a run of a bunch of different receiver coaches that I don't think taught the position very well. And uh, now you're seeing a guy that is teaching it extremely well. And he's, uh, he's got a bunch of different guys. I mean, two weeks in a row, Florida has 10 different receivers catching balls. Not all of them wide receivers, but uh, a lot of them are. And it just speaks to the level of depth that they've been able to recruit to in talent at the wide receiver spot and the way he's been able to kind of polish those guys once they've been on campus. Last thing before we let you go, Chris, obviously uh, the firing of Will Muschamp uh, didn't come as a huge surprise, uh, except that because it's a $15 million buyout uh, when you are ha- having money problems already, as everybody is going to have this year. But it comes to a point where you're not going to get money from donors if you don't do it, and I think they had no choice. As much as I love Will, uh, I, don't, I just don't think they had any choice with what, he had, what they had been doing the last three games. Unfortunately, it reminded me a lot of what we went through here in Florida with Coach Muschamp. I'm a big Will Muschamp fan, a friend of his. Um, You know, I think very highly of who he is as a human being and what he's meant to so many different players that he's coached over the years. Um, I was sad to see it not work out because I was optimistic. I mean, literally, it was a month ago today, Pat, that South Carolina beat Auburn, uh, had a, a two-game win streak going. I thought they were figuring things out. I thought they had come up with a, an offensive identity. I thought that Mike Bobo was finally that elusive offensive coordinator that, that he made the right move with, and then things went off the rails. And ironically, it wasn't the offense. It was the defense more than anything that, that took them down. 159 points that those defenses, that the South Carolina defense allowed in three straight games uh, the lowest output that they allowed was 48 points. I mean, so they were getting torched on the side of the ball that he's known to be uh, a, 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 an expert or one of the best in the in the college football ranks with. And uh, I, I can't even tell you why it went bad, but it was a, a situation much like at Florida 
where the fan base was so fractured, there was so much negativity around the program that I don't think Ray Tanner had any other decision but to, to move forward with that. And in a year where so many athletic departments are, are operating in a, a shortfall situation, uh, for them to, to make that move, knowing they were going to have to pay $13-plus million in buyout money, uh, means to me that they're committed to, to having a successful program on the field and that they've, they've already got a commitment for money from the boosters to, to hire the next guy. And, and Ray Tanner was asking the press conference yesterday whether there were going to be financial restrictions on who they can hire next. Uh, he said that was something they'd be aware of. But if you're willing to pay that buyout now, that means you're willing to, to pay whatever you need to to get the next head coach in. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a different market this year. I don't think there's going to be as many jobs available. And I do think that there's a, a limited number of, of, of guys that are, are, are worthy. And even those worthy guys have some baggage that uh, come along with them. So uh, I, I think they're going to, to, to do whatever necessary to find the right guy. But I just, I just think it's a, it's a crapshoot these days. When you, when you hire somebody new and, 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 uh, Brian uh, Edwards, the former South Carolina wide receiver, mentioned it yesterday. He said, you're, you're basically starting the clock over again by firing Will Muschamp. You're starting the clock over on, on how long it's going to take to rebuild and put a successful program on the field. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see who they end up going with. He is Chris Doring. You know him well uh, from his time at Florida and, of course, on the SEC Network. We'll be right back with more of the Duly Noted Podcast right after we take this break. Thanks to Chris for being on. Uh, always a pleasure. Really, I, I could have him on every week, and it'd be great because he knows the Gators. He knows, you know, Brad McClenney, who's my producer on these podcasts, was just saying that he's the best guest because he knows Florida. He knows Florida history. He knows current Florida, and he knows the SEC. Yeah, I don't want to really want to talk about anything else but those things. I will talk a little bit about some other teams. Um, but I did want to talk about South Carolina and, and getting rid of Will Muschamp, uh, the buyouts closer to $15 million. Uh, now, again, they don't have to give him a check for $15 million. They're going to pay him every month like he got paid here. In fact, I think he might be paid up here. He might have another check. Or maybe that's McElwain that's got another one coming. Buyouts are part of the college football scene. And there's a great story on in The Athletic uh, by Andy Staples um, talking about how this, this came to fruition, why he's owed so much money. And it goes back to the 2017 Outback Bowl. They won that game to win nine games, beat Michigan. And, um, you know, he got an extension and a huge raise, million-dollar raise, million dollars a year. So even – but that's the funny thing. He was making $4.6 million. That put him ninth in the SEC in, in salary. That goes back to what I've talked about before. Part of the problem with college football, why it's in a bit of a bind, is because schools spend money as soon as they get it. They can't wait to spend it as soon as they get it. Or you can give us, oh, $40 million this year? All right, we got, we got a place we can spend that. And a lot of it is on coaches' salaries. But the thing is – um, why give and, and this is a point that Andy made why give him that extension it wasn't like he was going anywhere you know um, and that was a bad move and on their part and they're, they're paying the price now but 
159 points in three games is the most they've ever given up. And uh, again, it's an offensive league. It's offense is everywhere right now, and I get that part of it. But you know, I also believe that when you scream and yell at officials, you're winning. Eh, way to go! Fight for us, coach. We love you. You're losing. Why do you got to act like that? You know, I just think that was part of it. And and in the end, you know, you got donors who um, are willing to contribute to your program, and I, I, I they don't have the big money that say a Florida does or an Alabama does, but they got donors with deep pockets. But they're like, eh, we're not giving you any more money till you get rid of that guy. We didn't like you hiring him in the first place, and he got the job basically because. He was recommended by uh, Steve Spurrier, who you know, everybody still loves up there because he did something nobody's ever done there and became the winningest coach of all time at, at South Carolina, winning those 11 games three years in a row. And Charlie Strong recommended him as well. They wanted to hire Charlie. Charlie said, no, 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 I'm not leaving. I'm not, I'm not sure about that situation in the first place, but you ought to go get Will Muschamp. So he recommended him as well. That's the thing, though. It, it, how good a job is that? I'm not sure. And, you know, you're having to deal with the Clemson factor. Clemson's not going away. Clemson was away. Clemson was away when, when South Carolina rose to prominence under, under Coach Spurrier. Uh, he won five in a row against those guys, which now you think about that. Spurrier won five in a row against Clemson which is pretty amazing when you think about it now. But Clemson then, their rise has been in the same cycle as the fall of South Carolina, and it makes it even tougher. It's, it's just like the Alabama-Auburn thing. You, you hate it when the, when the team in your state is having great success and you're not having great success. It makes it that much more painful. And I, that's part of the problem with – and Clemson, but Clemson's not going to get bad all of a sudden. So you've got to compete with them for recruits. Now you've got the Georgias and Alabamas and LSUs coming in, even um, you know the Ohio States and, and teams like that. And you don't have that like, – like Spurrier was lucky to be in that cycle where he had Jadavian Clowney, Stephon Gilmore, and uh, Marcus Latimer all came out – of South Carolina like three straight years and all went to South Carolina. And that built the foundation of, of those great teams. But it's not like there's a lot of great players in South Carolina and, and teams are cherry-picking around him. He has recruited pretty well, but it's not showing up on the field. And that was part of the problem that Will had here. He recruited really well at times – but after a while, it just becomes toxic, and you have no choice. Interesting that uh, J.C. Horn opted out for the to get ready for the NFL. He said, hey, you get rid of my coach? Eh, I'll see you guys later. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be part of this. And, again, that's going to be a bad situation for them. Um, and I, I feel bad. It, it, just like Chris said, I consider um, I consider uh, Will Muschamp to be a friend. I 
texted him. I'll, I'll never. I feel like it's my fault. I texted him after they beat Auburn and said, "Man, I knew you got you had a pretty good team. I could tell watching your team play in person here in Gainesville." And he, and he texted me right back. Said, "Man, we're close. I know we're close. We're 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 almost there." And from that point on, they just got demolished and could not stop anybody. So I take all the blame. How about that? Um, all right. So I do need to address the fact that we will not have, uh, I believe it's A and M Ole Miss, right? That's the game that's already been postponed. We'll see how many others are. Uh, there's already been three games postponed, but again, this goes back to contact tracing more than it does positive tests. Florida had a positive test, um, in their latest batch. And I, I mean, we won't know till Saturday at about 1159, whether there are players who also are going to have to be out with the contact tracing could turn out. It was, um, a guy who wasn't around people. I don't know. I don't know who it was, and we will never find that out. But uh, be curious to see if they are going to have to have any issues there with having to get players. Miami, you know, had 13 players out, and again goes back to contact tracing and um, quarantine, and almost didn't play their game against Virginia Tech. They won the game by one point. Uh, they just keep finding ways to win games. I give them credit for that. Again, they haven't beaten anybody any good. Uh, the ACC is very top heavy. It's it's obviously Clemson, Notre Dame, and Miami, and you know you could throw North Carolina in there, but North Carolina can't play any defense. Um, so it's a weird dynamic. But Miami really hadn't beaten anybody. The best team they've beaten is who? Pitt, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech has lost to Liberty. So, but they're now having to shut it down for two weeks. They won't play for the next two weeks. And um, they're going to re- try to reschedule those games. Again, they'll play one of those games on the day of the ACC title game, only if they're not in the ACC title game. I think that's the Georgia Tech game they would play, as if we need to see that game to find out if they're, you know. They just ought to, Georgia Tech ought to just forfeit that game. They aren't going to beat Miami. And again, I give credit to Manny Diaz. They're doing a good job, and they're, they're having to fight through this. And as much as I hate, to give Miami credit for anything in any sport, I am giving it to them. Um, we're also in this situation where Michigan, Penn State, and Florida State combine three and thirteen right now, and that's because FSU has two wins, one of them over Jacksonville State. So Michigan's got one, one and three. Penn State zero oh and four. Nobody saw that coming. FSU two and six. And the thing is, as I pointed out the other day, in 2016, we're not talking long ago. We're not talking about the old days. We're talking about 2016. All three of those teams at the final AP poll were in the top ten. And now this is what's happened. This is how fast it can happen. We all know that here in Gainesville. When, when, you know, you go SEC East champ, SEC East champ, Four and seven, <laughs> boom! The roller coaster that we were on, eleven and two, four and eight. It, it was quite a roller coaster there for a while here, and luckily for Florida, Dan Mullen straightened it out. So, um, one more thing uh, before we get to three things: basketball has announced 
what they're going to do uh, in terms of capacity. 2,200 fans. Again, it's going to be just like football. Got to wear your mask the whole game unless you're eating or drinking something. And But, you know, that's the thing. When you eat and drink something, you say, hey, I'm eating and drinking this and um, I don't need to wear my mask. But, you, you know, but also you can't just bring your Coke down and start screaming and hope that if you have it, you're not you're still passing it along. Um, so and and again, there'll be pods of two and four, and there'll be social distancing, and it's going to be weird. There's not going to be a, a a big home court advantage like there's not a big home field advantage, uh, and nobody's going to be nobody's going to have a less of a home field advantage than Vanderbilt, which they haven't had really all year because they just aren't letting anybody into the game. They're letting students. Uh, they all have to sit in, the, in that far end zone. I guess what would that be? The south end zone? I don't even. I don't know my directions in Nashville very well. But the one, if you're in the press box on the right, they all have to sit there, and that's where the grad students are going to go because the students are all going home. And they, because they want to let families in finally of the players, they have to get let Florida's families in. So Florida's getting 500 tickets and. Um, Florida probably have more fans than Vanderbilt will, to be honest with you. Uh, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. It's not going to be loud or anything. So, all right, let's get to three things. It's time for three things. All right, number one, obviously I enjoyed the Masters to a point, but, you know, obviously when you get um, – when you when it, when somebody runs away with it, it it it's not as much fun. But because I picked Dustin Johnson to win, I was pretty happy that that he won. And you know his emotions afterwards were just really cool. I, I you know I I I'm, I'm, I like Dustin Johnson. I've never been a huge giant fan. I'm more of a fan now after watching that because I know what that means to get that green jacket and. I don't know what it means because nobody's given me. I don't even own a green jacket. But he does. And I think it's uh, probably the second best trophy you can get is that green jacket. The Heisman to me is number one. And then I go green jacket. Certainly on an individual basis, there's no question that those are the two biggest ones. But – the Masters was weird in a lot of ways. First of all, the course was soft, and they, those guys were firing at the pins. It, it did get difficult for some people. Tiger Woods made a 10. Somebody had a great line. They said that was Tiger's first 10 since he married Elon. Um, although I, I'm guessing he had, there might have been some 10s along the way. Um, but it was, you know, without the, without the blooming azaleas, without the patrons – it wasn't the same, but I still watched a ton of it um, until Saturday, uh, Sunday, because what it, we had to go out and run some errands. I go, well, I'll just record it. They're going to the back nine. I'll come back. It'll be great. Hit, you know, hit play. Watch the back nine at Augusta. What could be better? It's still competitive. It's still got a chance. Somebody could come up. So as soon as I start watching, they get like one a half a hole in. My phone buzzes. I look at it. Dustin Johnson win master with a scoring record. God, come on, man. So I didn't watch a whole lot of it Sunday. But I watched a lot of it during the week. Number two, 
The NCAA is talking about having all the basketball in the for the NCAA tournament in Indianapolis. You know, they would play at Butler. They would play some other places. Uh, and again, this would allow them to bubble up, much much like the, uh, the NBA did, and keep from having to cancel games. Look, I don't know what basketball season is going to look like. I don't know. I know when they're supposed to start. I don't know when they're going to start. I don't know how deep it'll go. I don't know if we're going to end up with conference-only games. I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's the same kind of deal that um, we we've been dealing with with football. Take it week to week. You take it. You take this week and you go to next week and see what happens. Um, but it almost feels like maybe they should just go back to the ACC plan. Let everybody in the tournament start playing it off as soon as we feel comfortable. You know, it might not be until February. Rick Patino says he wants May Madness. He wants everything to get pushed back. And I don't think they're going to do that. But we'll just see. And that's, again, like, like I know some people believe you ought to put an asterisk by this football season. I don't believe that at all. Um, it's It's been a weird year. It's been a strange year. And it's been an obviously an offensive year. But you're still having to go play and have to win the games. And it's been – there parts of it have been really good, you know. So I don't think you put an asterisk by it. And I don't think you put an asterisk by the basketball season. I don't care if they play 15 games. And then they have the NCAA tournament. Still going to count. Somebody at the end will get confetti. Uh, and finally, number three, it, it is amazing to watch these NFL quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, whether it's – uh, Joe Burrow or, or Tua, who's now 3-0 and as a starter. Um, all the other ones that are doing so well. But that's that's the world we're living in, in that quarterbacks now are better prepared than they've ever been. You know, you go to all kinds of camps. You go get tutelage with T- Trent Dilfer and all this. Guys are coming out, and they're more ready than they've ever been. And that's why everybody's – the value of – Fields and Lawrence is so great. Uh, now, it, whether it's the Jets or the Jaguars, you know, <laughs> we'll wait and see. But either way, one of them's going to get one, one's going to get the other. And don't be surprised if both those guys aren't starting opening day because they're ready. They're ready now more than they've ever been ready. And that's what where college football has better prepared the pros. It used to be you had to sit out for a while, and maybe we'd stick you in there, but it's going to be painful. Ask Troy Aikman how bad it was. Ask Peyton Manning how bad it was when he first got in there. It's it's rough. It can be rough. You're learning on the on the fly, and the games at a different speed. These guys are used to it now. They're ready for it. So it's it's been fun to watch them. All right, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Appreciate everybody for clicking on. Thanks so much to Chris Doring. Thanks to Brad McClenney for producing. We'll be back with another one on Thursday. Until then, Pat Dooley. I'm the sports columnist at the Gainesville Sun. I am deep. I'm way back. And I am out of here.